you um, interviewed Alan Levinson from from uh, Mel recently, and that's a really great episode. She's my favourite editor of all the editors I've ever worked with, and it's probably my most reliable uh, place that I actually freelance for and write. Hello, and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Achandrika, and I'll be your host. How nice it is to open with such a lovely compliment for the podcast. So that voice you just heard is this episode's guest, Mick Wright, and he was talking about Alana Levinson, deputy editor of Mail Magazine, who appeared about five episodes back on Freelance Pod. So if you've not listened to her, it's well worth giving that episode a go. And uh, she also hands out some tips on uh, what kind of pitches she's looking for. So uh, if you're looking for a new place to pitch, it's worth checking out Alana's episode. So here we are at the last episode of season two of the podcast. I'm taking a break over the summer, but I will return later in the year with more exciting guests. If you're going to miss me in August, then you can always get a ticket to um, either one or both of my masterclasses, which will be taking place over Zoom. So I've got two. The first one is using personal essays to break into new publications and niches, which takes place on the evening of Tuesday, the 4th of August, British Summertime. And uh, yes, personal essays have got me my first byline in an array of publications. And then the second workshop is one for podcasters. It's how to get your indie podcast to 10,000 downloads. And that'll take place again in the evening, British summertime, um, on Tuesday, the 18th of August. And yes, Freelance Pod hit 10,000 downloads a couple of weeks ago. And I make it all by myself. So I'll let you know the strategies and the tips that have helped me get to that milestone which is very exciting so there are many different ticket prices and discounts available i pop discount codes into editions of my newsletter that are subscriber only but they're still free so if you want to see those discount codes you can subscribe over at sachandrika.substack.com that's sachandrika.substack.com and I'll put the link in the show notes there are other good reasons to subscribe as well there's some decent writing in there too the early bed tickets for the podcasting session are all sold out now but if you're quick you might be able to grab hold of the discounted general admission tickets and then after that it's just general admission I'm afraid and uh, don't forget that the price for both masterclasses includes a recording of the session so I've had a couple of people say they can't actually make that time and that day but could they buy tickets they get a copy of the recording and yes that is possible too so any issues just get in touch you can find links for the tickets over at eventbrite and of course i'll put them in the show notes as well right business stuff done so back to this episode my guest is journalist and poet mick wright who is also the publisher and writer of a media critiquing newsletter conquest of the useless you can subscribe to his newsletter at brokenbottleboy or one word dot substack.com that's brokenbottleboy.substack.com mick also writes some paid for content in the newsletter and that goes out to subscribers who pay and you're in luck because we have a 50 percent off discount code for freelance pod listeners it's available until friday the 31st of july so you've got a couple of days and if you use this link that i'm going to give you you'll get 50% off subscription forever. And the link is brokenbottleboy, all one word, .substack.com forward slash freelance pod, all one word. So again, that's brokenbottleboy, all one word, .substack.com forward slash freelance pod, all one word. And guess where the link is going to go? 
Yes, it will be in the show notes. You can also follow Mick on Twitter at Broken Bottle Boy, where you can see his front page deconstructions, where he highlights newspaper pages according to what is factual and what, well, isn't. And he also has a pinned tweet with updates on his legal case against Daily Mail columnist Sarah Vine, which he alludes to quite early on in this episode. So at least you know who he's talking about. So let's hand over to Mick and see what he has to say. I'm currently in a legal action with a with a with a senior national newspaper columnist for the Daily Mail. Right. So it doesn't get rougher than that. Right. So but actually, do you know what I found? Like. I I do better when I'm in these battles, you know, I like being David versus Goliath, you know, Um, and not everyone does. And listen, I've not been sleeping well. It's not great for my health. Certainly my, you know, my sleep and my digestive system would appreciate less stress. Right. I'm 36 years old. I'd like to make decent money and not always be fighting with people. But it may be that this is what I'm meant to do. And it's still not pleasant to be targeted by the far right, which I am a lot. I've been called an N-word lover quite recently, quite a lot in my emails for, um, you know, standing up for uh, academics of color who who I, I support and think deserve to be treated properly by our media. Um, so, yeah, look, it's not easy. But then, like, oh God, why am I going to spend my life being worried if I'm blacklisted by these places? A lot of these publications are dying anyway. You know, it's like being told, I'm sorry, uh, your name's not down. You're not getting in uh, to the Titanic. It's like, yeah, fine. I don't really want in. Your ship is not unsinkable. I've built a submarine. I love my submarine. Anyone can come into my submarine and hang out. It's a much more welcoming place. Being a media critic, uh, self-appointed, but nonetheless a media critic, I'm not really in the position to not listen thing is i listen to lbc i listen to talk radio i listen to radio 4 uh you know i read most of the papers um at least once a week because what i'm trying to do is write a a media criticism newsletter that is you know reflective of what people are actually reading it's very easy like i've always said i won't write for the daily mail and i certainly i stopped some of my work being um syndicated into the daily mail uh, back when i worked uh as a contracted writer for the telegraph because I I just don't like the Daily Mail. And and even though the money is very good, I didn't want to work for them. But I can't not read that. I mean, I I am a fan of the BBC. I think the BBC is a necessary thing. I hope it continues to exist. But I also think there are problems with the BBC. Certainly, the BBC News website is far too big. It's got hundreds of journalists, many of them focusing on, on, say, entertainment news and other areas where uh commercial entities could grow up like it's very hard uh, you know f- uh, at one time i tried to start my own website and 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 make uh, cultural and political stuff on it and i didn't have any funding and i used my own money for that and you can't reach critical mass very easily without a large amount of funding and part of that is because the bbc sucks a lot of the air out of it um and there are some good independents um out there and trying to grow but against the BBC, it's really difficult. But that doesn't mean that I think that the alternative is to allow uh, Rupert Murdoch to capture more of the media market. And unfortunately, we don't have strong regulators or a government that has any desire to check Murdoch's power. Although we did see Sky News cease to be under his control, which was, I think, a beneficial thing for media plurality in this country. 
a very quick rundown of how I like have moved through the media was I was the first person in my family to go to any university. I went to Cambridge. At Cambridge, I did a lot of student journalism. Many of the people I did student journalism with now are quite senior in the media in various ways. One of them is a controversialist columnist for the Daily Telegraph. She gets increasingly unpleasant as every day goes by. Um, another is a, an excellent um, editor at The Guardian, Archie Bland, who who was one of my editors when I was I, I worked for Varsity as a student journalist. He's he's um excellent uh so uh, but after i left university i didn't really have any money um one of the fallacies about going to cambridge is it opens a lot of doors for you well, it kind of does but it mostly opened doors for people who were rich already and well connected from their time at public schools so i was offered a lot of interesting jobs when i left cambridge but they didn't want to pay me so i ended up going and earning sixteen thousand pounds a year working for pensions world magazine in croydon uh, Pensions World is owned by LexisNexis Butterworths, which is, you know, one of the world's biggest um, news information companies. Uh, and I went there and I learned uh, about finance journalism under an editor called Stephanie Hawthorne, who still edits uh, the trade magazine. Um, I was there for two years, moved from staff writer to assistant editor to deputy, deputy editor in that time. That's kind of what happens on trade magazines. You know, you learn your trade quickly and you can move up quickly. Um, I then became I then applied in 2007, when the iPhone came out, there was a job to be news editor for Stuff magazine, which was absolutely booming at the time with, with mobile phones and smartphones becoming like the must-have thing. Stuff magazine was was doing really well, had 27 international editions, uh, and I went to work at the home edition of that in Teddington at Stuff magazine, probably one of the best staff jobs I've ever had. Uh, from there, I was there for 18 months, nearly two years, and a job came up at Kew. I'd always wanted to be a music journalist, so I went to the interview for Q with a fully drawn-out flat plan for what I'd do in my first issue. Really impressed the publisher and the then editor. Was hired. I was 23 years old. Um, didn't make me very popular with the existing staff there because uh, th the person who I was replacing they'd really liked, and they they had their eye on wanting uh, someone else who was already working at NME to come over and work at Q. So it was a pretty unpleasant. Uh, nine months I spent at Q, although there are some nice people there. And the now editor, Ted Kessler, was reviews editor at the time. And, and I, I have huge respect, respect for what uh, Ted has done with the magazine. But, you know, very few people were kind to me there. And I had a really terrible time. So I left, went freelance, um, was very lucky that David Rowan, who was then editor of Wired, gave me two large... Um, long form features to write for him um both of which sent me um on foreign trips one to holland to look at the old um polaroid factory that was being brought back to life and the other to go to america to interview the senior executives at kodak as they tried to save that business um and actually my kodak story is an interesting one to read because it's kind of a portrait of a company desperately trying to save itself but clearly drowning and I kind of wrote it quite hopefully, but it was quite difficult because basically you were seeing people trying to make things happen in an industry that was kind of dead. Um, and that sort of is what started me thinking a bit about media criticism. But since, but following that, I spent years as freelance um, doing some staff jobs. I was a contracted writer for the Daily Telegraph for some time. I was um, chief tech blogger for Telegraph Blogs and now defunct section of the Telegraph. Uh, I also spent a year as a, a European 
um, special projects slash, uh, you know, writer at large for the next web. Um, I left the next web after I wrote a post uh, basically saying that all tech journalism was ridiculous and that I was quitting tech journalism, which kind of gave my editors there very little choice. And then to say, we think we should, you're probably done here. And I said, yeah, I think I'm probably done because I've sort of had enough of it here. Um, and since then, I freelance for lots of different places. Best place I freelance for now is Mel Magazine. And I know that you um, interviewed Alana Levinson from, from uh, Mel recently, and that's a really great episode. She's my favorite editor of all the editors I've ever worked with. And it's probably my most reliable uh, place that I actually freelance for and write, you know, long form stuff for. Uh, but I've also written for places like GQ and New Statesman and Wired still occasionally. But it's there's a new regime there and it's hard for me to get stuff placed there. So, yeah, I, recently I started writing a newsletter called Conquest of the Useless, which is um, named after a book by um, Werder Herzog. And it's a media criticism newsletter, and it's been growing quite quickly. I, we're only in sort of week three. I say we. I am only in week three of writing it, and uh, it's coming up for 250 subscribers with subscribers at organizations like the BBC, Sky News, The Guardian, The Telegraph, uh, you know, so, uh, New York Times. So there is a really interesting sense that that it, it, it is tapping into things that people in the industry want to know about. And I think also partly it's because I write it quite forthright. Um, basically because I don't really care anymore whether those places hire me. And I realized the, the best way for me to make money is to harness the audience that I've built over 15 years as a writer who like me as a writer and follow me to different publications and probably have done since I was at the Telegraph. So I haven't got a massive audience, but I've got an audience that's willing to pay. So the newsletter is already making me money and, you know, basically 100 percent profit at the moment. I'm best suited to being in journalism and finding money my own way. And the greatest thing about newsletters happening is that now I can literally start a newsletter, said to people, you can read it for free, but if you want to pay a fiver a month, $5 a month, you get some extra stuff. And now it's making $300 a month for me and it's growing every day. And it's looking like, you know, that's going to be a really good way for me to make a living. And I like that. You know, I like to write things that people want to pay for. Uh, that's great. And it used to be I had to tell commissioning editors a story to get them to pick stuff up. And I still do that. But I'm very willing to go to my audience to say, I have these things. Like, I also have a Patreon where I write poetry and, and fiction, stuff like that, because I was doing that and people wanted to pay for it. So I gave them a means to pay for it. And that makes me, what, about $250 a month. So when you add all this stuff up, it's starting to, like, become an income. Um, I still want to get commissions from from uh, publications like i say i love to write for mel i have a piece uh, at the moment which alana and i've kind of been wrestling over but i think might happen and it, it's about treasure hunters and like why do men go on treasure hunts where there's this risk that they could die but it was a hard one to write and, and she gave me some really good editorial feedback on that and uh, you know we decided that it wasn't going to appear because it just couldn't quite get to where it want to be and then i woke up about four in the morning a couple of weeks back and I realized how I needed to reframe the story. So I've done a rewrite on that and sent that to her and hopefully that might appear. But um, yeah, you know, uh, I think the reality is you have to build your own stuff. Like the Paxman thing, it's like, 
it's like that thing in the thick of it where they go, we know the cheat codes for Paxman. And in a way, it's like that's why John Humphreys had to stop being on the Today programme, partly because he was old, super right wing and needed to leave about 20 years before. But also his techniques are totally didn't work anymore because you just play the reasonable guy with an angry interviewer. You just play reasonable. It's also my technique for trolls now. I'm just super, super nice to them because it gets them so angry. I'm like, oh, thank you very much for your comment. I don't agree, but uh, have a great day. And they're like, oh, I want to kill you. And they're like, oh, that's and I'm like, oh, that seems really, really nasty. I, I'm uh, I hope that you're getting the therapy you need. <laughs> they just go mad because they're like, they can't handle that because what they want you to do is just go mad at them. Um, yeah, I had that with a Breitbart guy the other day who was like, who screenshot one of my posts to try and brought a load of um, flying monkeys down on me. And then of course, someone immediately found that he'd done that, sent it to me. And then I just quote tweeted him and I was like, Hey, since you quote tweeted me, here's all my guys have fun. Um, and he was like, I, d- I quote tweeted it so that you wouldn't get abuse. And I was like, it's not my first day on the internet. Like, what are you talking about? You know exactly what you're playing. Like the, the strategies are, you know, the Twitter strategies, we all know what they are. You know, you screenshot someone because you want to rag on them, but you don't want them to know you're ragging on them. Like it's, you know, and I do that. Like I'm a hypocrite to say if I didn't, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I said I didn't do that. Sometimes I do. Um, and But also I feel like that plays into what I'm trying to do, which is a critique of the fundamental structure of the media. And sometimes I will have to critique individuals. But what I'm trying to do is critique what they say, not what they are. I think private is brilliant because it doesn't, it refuses to be online. Uh, Like we have a subscription in our house. It comes here. I read it voraciously. It has some of the best journalists working. It also is really good at letting young freelancers in. Like, look, if you're a young freelancer and you can break stories, send it to the eye because they want it. Like I know several excellent young freelancers there. In fact, I'm just going to look up and check that I get the name right. Yeah. Henry Dyer, who's um, at Dyer Thoughts on Twitter. He He's he's a brilliant young journalist, just graduated from York University last year. And he's already contributing to Street of Shame and, and getting stories in there. And I, I think the eye is great for that. But the other thing is, and I'm loath to criticize them, but look, Ian Hislop is of the establishment. He always has been to an extent, but he's even more so now. And it's like when you look at Have I Got News For You, it's kind of toothless. It kind of gums at the edges, right? Why are the why are MPs so happy to go on there? Because, like, they'll get rousted a bit, but nothing's going to really hurt them. You know, I, I think basically since the days of the Angus Dayton era of Have I Got News For You, it's become become kind of a bit senile. And I don't think the eye has, but the eye is kind of. It doesn't have a radical point of view anymore. It's kind of tweedily annoyed about corruption, right? Whereas my attitude to my newsletter is I am like burningly, voraciously, horrendously angry about corruption. And also I'm influenced by an era of, say, the enemy when when the enemy famously in the 70s had a had a. Um, uh, a call for hip young gunslingers and brought in like Julie Burchill and Tony Parsons, who, when they were young, were like, these coruscating voices who would just like destroy everything, burn it down. Now, obviously like the, her- the, the, the legacy of Julie Burchill and Tony Parsons is quite complicated. And I think the young versions of them probably would really hate the older versions, but maybe we're all destined to suffer that. Yeah. Well, no, my tips, my tips would be like, 
listen, I, I, this whole build your own thing thing, right? Yeah, do do that. But also you have to build credibility. You have to build a name for yourself. So getting in with an organization does help. A lot of my audience came from when I was a contracted writer for Telegraph blogs, I got a reputation as a kind of a, 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 a bit of a free thinker there. And so a lot of that audience was built. And when I got bumped from Telegraph blogs in the end, you know, slightly jumping, slightly pushed, um, those guys came with me and followed me on Twitter and said, God, I miss you being on there. And when new guys started on Telegraph blogs, it used to make me quite happy that occasionally there would be comments where it would go, when's Mick Wright coming back? And that was great. You know, so that made me realize, oh, look, I've got people who like my writing. The second thing I would say is um, know what you believe in and try to stick to it as much as you can. Um, I, you know, a lot of people will say you have to write for the Daily Mail because nowhere else is going to hire you. But really, go and do a different job. If the only place that wants to hire you is the Daily Mail and you're not comfortable with that, do a different job and wait and do your journalism for yourself until you can get a job at, a, at an outlet that you feel comfortable working for. If you feel comfortable working for the Mail, they pay very well, work for them. But don't go and work somewhere that is contrary to your beliefs just because you think you have to get a job. You don't have to be a journalist. You have to be able to look yourself in the eye. And the third thing I would say is uh, not everyone is going to like you. It really hurts. People pretend it doesn't hurt, but it does hurt. It's horrible to be abused all the time. I had breakdowns in my late 20s and, and early 30s over just a sheer level of abuse I got and it made me stop being able to write so you need to have coping strategies to deal with that because the internet is going to attack if you say things that you really mean and you're really passionate about you will get abuse for it so it's not just about sucking it up it's about you know finding ways to be able to afford to go to therapy or finding um, support networks if people want to sign up for the newsletter, it is free to sign up for. It is brokenbottleboy.substack.com, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. Um, it's yeah, free to sign up to, but there is one paid edition a week. Uh, if you want that, it's $5 a month or $30 for the year. But I'll make uh, a special um, uh, money off code for this podcast. So thanks to Mick Wright for guesting on the podcast. And if you'd like to subscribe to his newsletter, don't forget that there is a 50% off discount code. Just use the link brokenbottleboy.substack.com forward slash freelance pod. It is in the show notes. And yet you'll get all of Mick's newsletters. So that's all from me for this season. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for getting the podcast to 10,000 downloads. And as I mentioned at the start, if you're going to miss me, then we've got some masterclasses to get into. The newsletter will still be going. I'll also be writing and making stuff and just doing everything a freelancer can. So, uh, yes, I'll, I'll be on the Internet. You can find me there. <laughs> and as ever, if you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review, subscribe. So have a great summer and I'll see you when school's back in a little later on in the year. And I hope you get a great brand new pencil case. That's all I'm hoping for. <laughs> I'll save you a seat somewhere towards the back of the bus. Bye for now. <laughs>